Welcome to Murder Minute. Today, the story of Clifford Olson. But first, your true crime headlines. The state of Texas has executed a man convicted of killing five members of his family 18 years ago. 47-year-old Abel Ochoa made a final statement before the lethal injection was administered, apologizing to his in-laws and thanking them for their forgiveness for the attack, which claimed the lives of five members of his family and left another with serious injuries. Ochoa was high on crack cocaine at the time of the murders. His trial attorneys described him as a hardworking, law-abiding citizen whose two-and-a-half-year-long drug addiction caused his life to unravel. In the months leading up to the murders, he was spending hundreds of dollars each week to buy crack cocaine and had taken out loans to support his drug habit. In his confession to police, Ochoa stated that he had not smoked crack for 10 days before the day of the murders. On that fateful day, he convinced his wife to take him to buy drugs and then smoked crack in the backyard after they returned. He told police that he started to crave more drugs, but knew that his wife would not give him more money to buy crack, so he grabbed his handgun and opened fire on his family, shooting until he ran out of bullets, and then reloading the gun and shooting some more. In the end, his wife, their seven-year-old son, and nine-month-old daughter, his father-in-law, and his sister-in-law were killed, and another sister-in-law was seriously injured. Ochoa's attorneys had argued for his death sentence to be commuted to life in prison due to his sincere remorse for the crimes, but their appeals were denied, and he became the second inmate to be put to death by the state of Texas this year. Several more executions are scheduled in the coming months in Texas, which executes more prisoners than any other state in the nation. Federal prosecutors have filed hate crime charges against the 21-year-old white supremacist who opened fire at an El Paso Walmart last August, killing 22 people and wounding 22 more. The shooter, who confessed to the killings after surrendering to police, has already been indicted on capital murder charges at the state level, for which he has pleaded not guilty. The 90-count federal indictment includes firearms charges for the crime which the Department of Justice described as an act of domestic terrorism. The accused killer allegedly told police that he traveled more than 600 miles from his home near Dallas to the Walmart in Sierra Vista, which is near the U.S.-Mexico border, with the intention of killing as many Mexicans as he could. Shortly before the attack, it is believed that the shooter posted a manifesto on a white supremacist website. The manifesto, entitled the Inconvenient Truth, included praise for other mass shooters, outlined his motive for the killings, and described the weapons he planned to use in the attack. The shooter faces a possible death sentence if he is convicted. The Orange County District Attorney's Office announced that they intend to drop the charges against a California surgeon and his girlfriend, who were accused of drugging and sexually assaulting multiple women in their Newport Beach home. Dr. Grant Robichaux and his girlfriend, Sarissa Riley, were both charged in 2018 with multiple felony counts, including rape, which the couple have vehemently denied. Former Orange County District Attorney Tony Rakakis 
had alleged that investigators found videos of up to 1,000 women who had been sexually assaulted by the couple while incapacitated. The case drew international media attention, and Rokakis later admitted in a sworn deposition that he had used the case to generate publicity as he attempted to win re-election. He was defeated by current District Attorney Todd Spitzer, who reviewed the evidence and determined that there were, in fact, no videos or photographs of incapacitated women being assaulted by the accused. Spitzer announced that his office would be dropping the charges, stating that there was no way for the charges against Robichaux and Riley to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Spitzer called his predecessor's handling of the case a, quote, blatant abuse of power, which Rokakis has denied. Robichaux and Riley spoke to reporters after the district attorney's announcement, expressing relief that the charges would be dropped, but also describing how the publicity surrounding the case has done lasting damage to their lives and reputations. The judge in the case has declined to make an immediate ruling on the request to drop the charges and asked both sides to submit briefings so that he can have a better understanding of the facts involved. Another hearing has been scheduled for April 3rd. Those were your true crime headlines. Next, a story about one of Canada's most horrific serial murder cases. But first, a quick break. Hear that sound? That's the sound of your new favorite game. True crime is my passion, but sometimes even I need a break from all the court transcripts and the autopsy reports. So when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, I play Best Fiends. Best Fiends engages my brain with challenging but fun puzzle games and beautifully animated, adorable characters. The game is simple. The good guys are the bugs, and the bad guys are the slugs. Complete the puzzles to defeat the slugs and unlock new levels and fiends. Like Tantrum, the Dung Beetle, Edward the Mosquito, Gene the Centipede, and my new favorite, Pop, the Axolotl. I've just left the frozen hills and am traveling with my ten fiends through the endless desert, collecting treasure and rescuing new fiends. And with new monthly updates and over 3,000 levels, I know the journey will never get old. And Best Fiends doesn't require an internet connection, so whether I'm in the car, on a plane, procrastinating, or trying to shake off those crime scene photos I just looked at, Best Fiends is my must-play. The app is free to download, so join me, Gene, Tantrum, and the other fiends to find out why this addictive five-star puzzler app has over a hundred million downloads. Join the adventure today. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Valentine's Day is approaching, but if you're looking for a little excitement on your own terms, Dipsy can help you get in the mood. No date required. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself, whoever and whatever you're into. Dipsy stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're right there. Find stories 
about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger, or getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor you can't stop thinking about. And if you are in a couple, Dipsy's stories make great foreplay, and their guided sessions can help you unlock new confidence and heighten intimacy with your partner. Break the ice and explore your fantasies with stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. And Dipsy adds new content every week, so the well will never run dry. This year, make Dipsy your Valentine. For Murder Minute listeners, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com mm. That's 30 days free when you visit dipseastories.com slash mm. What are you waiting for? Turn on Dipsy. They promise they'll return the favor. Get the hottest app of 2020 at dipsystories.com slash mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Today, the story of Clifford Olson. All of his life, Randy Ludlow had longed to connect with his biological father. He knew little about the man, other than what his mother had told him, that Larry had gone to prison for something like writing bad checks before Randy was born. That wasn't the only time Randy was abandoned by kin, according to his blog. He was in seventh grade when his family up and moved away while he was at camp for two weeks. He had to search for them through extended relatives. Later, he became a ward of the state and ended up in neglectful foster homes. During the spring of 1981, Randy was looking forward to turning 19 the next year, the age he could attempt to find his father through the agency Parent Finders. One day while standing near the hospital he was born in, he hitchhiked for a ride. Within minutes of accepting a ride, not only did the driver claim to know his father, but he said they had been childhood best friends. When the man promised to help locate Larry Ludlow, it felt like the best day of Randy's life. The man also made a point of showing off his wealth. He took me out to his airplane, Randy wrote, showed me high-rise apartment complexes his company was building, always flashing thousands of dollars in cash. Several months later, the man would be arrested on suspicion of attempting to abduct two female hitchhikers. Soon after that, investigators would confirm that the crime barely skimmed the surface. The man was Clifford Olson, a name that would go down in history as one of Canada's most loathed serial killers. By attempting to understand how the man came to commit such tragic crimes, many people hope other criminals as dangerous can be stopped early on, before lives are lost or tragically changed. Olson was born one of four kids in Vancouver, a bustling, diverse seaport town in British Columbia in 1941. His father worked as a milkman. He was always getting into fights at school and getting beaten up, his dad told the Vancouver Sun in 1982. One day he said to me, Dad, I'm going to learn to be a boxer. As soon as he did, he began making the rounds of the boys who had beaten him up and evening the score. Maybe that's his trouble, that chip on his shoulder. But his issues went further than that. During his youth, Olsen tormented animals and stole flowers and berries, 
only to sell them back to the very people who had grown them. He frequently skipped school, then dropped out after finishing eighth grade. At age 17, he was sent to jail for breaking and entering. He spent 21 of the next 25 years behind bars for over 90 convictions and seven escapes from custody. It's difficult to say how many crimes Olson got away with over the years, but experts have a strong sense as to his technique, applying charm and manipulation. Even his high school boxing coach, Tommy Yule, said he had only positive memories of good boy Olsen. At one point, he was deemed the most sportsmanlike boxer during a Golden Gloves tournament. Years later, Olsen would score a 38 out of 40 on the Psychopathy Checklist, or PCL, an assessment created by Canadian psychologist Robert Hale in the 1970s. The first of the 10 questions asks about excess glibness and superficial charm. In other words, people with a personality disorder psychopathy tend to be ultra-smooth, almost too smooth, and insincerely charming. Olsen even charmed his way out of prison for good behavior several times. Superficial charm is likely how he wooed Joan Hale, too. A few months after his release in 1980, he met and married the woman who had recently divorced a violent abuser. The higher a person scores on the PCL, the more skilled they are at identifying and preying on vulnerable victims. Unbeknown to Joan or anyone else, Olson was in the middle of a killing spree when they wed and welcomed their son Stephen to the world. By the time the couple met, he had already murdered three children. 13-year-olds Christine Weller Colleen and Marianne Dagnault and 16-year-old Darren Todd Johnsrud. Four days after their wedding, he had abducted and killed 16-year-old Sandra Wolfsteiner, too. The four children's bodies had been found in wooded areas, and authorities hadn't yet secured any suspects. During the following year, Randy Ludlow began spending time with Olson, hoping that doing so would help him find his estranged father. While Randy was never involved in Olson's nefariousness, he had a close brush with it that summer. On or about July 9, 1981, he wrote, I was present in Olson's car when he offered a ride to a young girl whom obviously he had been previously acquainted. I was dropped off at a mall in Burnaby, BC, and Olson drove off with the young Judy Kuzma. 14-year-old Judy was on her way to see a friend and to apply for work at a Wendy's restaurant. She was a student, and her parents were both from Hungary. Before Randy stepped out of the car, Olsen had purchased rum, coke, and plastic glasses, and forced Judy to drink more than she wanted. Last seen standing at a bus stop, her disappearance prompted an article archived by United Press International with the headline, Our Children Are Missing, Yours Could Be Next. Later that month, Randy was again riding with Olson, along with three other teens, when officers in an unmarked police car pulled them over. They arrested Olson at gunpoint and whisked him away. The four of us teenagers were ID'd and told to be on our way, Randy wrote. As fast as they appeared, they were gone, with no explanation or warning whatsoever 
that we had been in harm's way. More than once, Olsen had talked to Randy about organizing a large bush party on an island in the Fraser River for Randy and 30 of his friends. It shudders me to think how easily this could have come to be, Randy recalled. It sounded great to me. The only access would have been by boat. Can you imagine 31 teens on an island with a sadistic killer? Randy would see Olsen once more, after the man managed to convince the officers that the arrest was all a big mistake. Shortly after being released, Olsen arrived at Randy's home, urging him to leave with him for something very important. He would not say what was so important, Randy recalled, but his secrecy and demeanor were suggesting to me that I may meet my father tonight. I was excited. Olsen gave him large amounts of alcohol, drugged him, and took him to another location where the unimaginable happened. Standing over me after throwing me to the ground with a knife in his hand, he was angrily screaming, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, Randy wrote. My mind was somewhat coherent, but my body was comatose. He dragged my body out of there and back to the car, all the way enraged. He piled me into the back seat and I was physically unable to even speak. Then Olsen spoke angrily to himself, drove Randy home, carried him inside, and raped him. Once Randy regained control of his body, he escaped. While speaking to police, he realized that Olsen was the man they had been seeking in the missing children case. He confirmed that he was in the car with Judy Kuzma before Olsen drove off with her, providing an important witness account. He then submitted a written statement and Olsen was charged with his first count of murder. From jail, Olsen called a reporter at the Vancouver Sun telling him the police had arrested the wrong man and that Randy was the real killer. For safety, Randy went to live with extended family. On his blog, titled A Survivor's Curse, Randy said, Sometimes I don't just pray to God, I pray to Judy Kuzma. Olsen's reaction to being caught demonstrates more psychopathic traits featured in the PCL. Pathological lying, a lack of remorse, cunning manipulation, callousness, a failure to accept responsibility for your actions, and a lack of empathy. All of these factors made the investigation more challenging. Police made getting a confession and locating the rest of the victims urgent priorities. To bring the killer to justice, they needed concrete evidence. Meanwhile, families of the missing children lived in horror, desperate to find out what had happened to their kids. By then, investigators had still only discovered four of the bodies. So police offered Olson a cash-for-bodies deal, agreeing to pay him $30,000 for evidence for all four murder cases, plus an additional $10,000 for each subsequent murder site he identified or helped locate. Here's how that happened. Unsurprisingly, it was Olson's idea. He offered to lead authorities to all remaining bodies and return some of the souvenirs he'd kept, such as some of the victim's clothing and jewelry. I'll give you 11 bodies for $100,000, he said, as though wagering a bet in a poker game. The questioning officer seemed stunned, 
They couldn't just pay him 100 grand, he said, adding, you could rip us off. I have to have something to tell or show my bosses that in fact you're credible. So Olson offered them what he called a freebie. He would give them one body location and a statement if they would let him phone his wife afterward and then they would give her the cash. What if your lawyer doesn't go along with it? A detective asked him. Like I told you before, Olson replied, he works for me. He then dictated his proposal while an officer jotted it down. It ended with the names of all 11 victims, including a German tourist police weren't even aware was missing. It's a bit eerie that he knew all of the victims' first and last names by heart. They weren't just numbers to him, yet he still killed them. Proof of his lack of empathy. After making the agreement, Olsen called his wife with a message. Honey, you're going to be rich. Two decades later, Jones said she saw nothing of the blood money and that it all went to legal fees. In an interview with the National Post, she said authorities shouldn't have agreed to pay her ex-husband. She believed she could have gotten him to confess. It can be difficult to understand how the same person who murders someone, much less 11 kids, seems to care about their family. Opinions on whether psychopaths can experience love vary, but Perpetua Neo, a psychologist who specializes in the population, doesn't believe they can. In an interview with Business Insider, she said, Narcissists, psychopaths, and sociopaths do not have a sense of empathy. They do not and will not develop a sense of empathy, so they can never really love anyone. They tend to see their children as possessions or extensions of themselves, she added. So rather than saying, I'm going to nurture you so you can grow up to be the amazing person you're meant to be, they say, you're supposed to grow up and do this so that you're my trophy. Psychiatric analysis showed no traumas in Olson's past that could have made psychopathy more likely. But scientific literature shows that genetic factors can play a major role, not just nurture and that psychopaths' brains are different. Only in recent years have researchers been discovering ways to diagnose and treat psychopathy. Reward-based early intervention, for example, can lead to less violence and crimes, making a child who lacks empathy learn to behave in ways that won't cause harm. But for Olson's victims, it was far too late. In all, Olson was charged with killing Judy Kuzma, Darren Johnsrud, Raymond King, Simon Partington, Ada Court, Louise Chartrand, Christine Weller, Terry Lynn Carson, Colleen Degnault, Sandra Wolfsteiner, and Sigrun Arnd. They were all ages 9 to 18. Olsen pleaded guilty to all 11 murders and received just as many life sentences to be served in one of Canada's super-maximum security prisons, he spent 23 hours a day in an administrative segregation unit that housed inmates who needed protection from fellow prisoners. After visiting Olsen in prison in 1989, reporter Kirk Macon described him as fit, tanned, and unrepentant. True to form, he instantly spat out demands and cunningly worded entreaties, Macon said. Leaping back and forth from his cot to his desk, he shoved letters, writs, and court documents through the bars. Olson only turned away from his obsessions with religion and mounting legal challenges for one hour per day 
which he spent running in the exercise yard. In 2011, the murder victim's families received word that Olson had terminal cancer, a courtesy call from authorities to spare loved ones the shock of again hearing details about his crimes splashed around the media. Around the same time, Sharon Rosenfeld, the mother of Darren, spoke with CBC. This will never end for me, she said, adding that her husband Gary's last words before dying of brain cancer were of Darren. Near the end, though he couldn't recognize his living family members, he would scream the killer's name. She said her other son summed it up well. You know, Mama, Clifford Olson may be dying, and he will be dead. It won't bring Darren back. We haven't got Darren. But the biggest thing is, he won't be able to hurt us again. After 30 years, he won't be able to hurt us. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.